0: But you know, good and camp, you are listening to the church politics podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason Dixon line. My play cousin, the right reverend Christopher Butler. Now, I said last week that we were going to change the subject at the beginning of uh, of these episodes. You know why I know why. And over the weekend, we got even more reason Not to talk about the team or teams that we usually talk about during this segment. But I do know something else that's coming up, Chris, which is the Los Angeles Lakers will be playing um, the Golden State Warriors tonight. And I fully expect uh, that the Lakers will continue in their losing tradition. Uh, Hopefully Golden State can get some of their internal problems together and get this win tonight. But I am looking forward, Chris, to another awful season uh, for the Lakers I don't even know, you know, will they make the plan? Will they not make the plan? Who knows? Uh, But we can expect less than a great season from uh, the Lakers. And that's really what we should all be focused on right now. I mean, it is still football season. I still will be watching football. But as far as what we should be talking about right now is those losers uh, that go by the name The Lake Show. Any thoughts you have on that or or anything else that's going on in sports?
1: Man, I am... uh... I'm more than willing to turn my attention to, uh, to, to, to Laker hate right now. Uh, it's not going too good in football. Uh, so I will be hopefully, uh, watching the game, at least have it in the background while I'm working tonight. So, you know, hopefully, like you said, I, I really hope that the, uh, the Golden State Warriors don't surprise me tonight though. Uh, cause I, I do need, uh, for my soul, a losing season out of
0: the Lakers. <laughs> for your soul. I like that. Um, have you given up hope on the team that we will not mention this episode?
1: Um I haven't given it up, but I've maybe set it aside for for a minute.
0: Set aside. Well played. Well played. I'll give you that. Huh. It's been a long, a long football season, man, but uh I've enjoyed it as much as I can and um uh, and looking forward to to uh you know college football after, you know, at, um after the season moves forward after the regular season moves forward and to see what happens there, man. But it's been uh, a painful season in one way or another. So uh, we are, are moving quickly past that. I haven't asked well, you, know we hopefully, you say, Chris?
1: So I haven't asked you and hopefully it's, it's not horrible to ask you right here on the podcast, but how is your, uh, your, uh, your boys team doing?
0: They're doing all right, man. They've, they've had a, a, a really solid season and you know, for the kids, they they're enjoying themselves and really seeing progress as as far as character and all that stuff, man. So it's been a good season. We still have a few games left, man. And we're going to keep uh, keep on pushing, brother. So uh, they're, they're all smiles. And so that's all that's all I need to see. So you know what it is, man. As always, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Fetzer Institute, for supporting us in what we do and how we do it. We appreciate that partnership. But we also appreciate all of you, whether you uh, support us through Patreon or you just go to the andcampaign.org website and support the movement there. Thank you for all that you do, whether you give a little, whether you give a lot. We appreciate you. So uh, continue to be a part of this movement. Again, man, we have um, some things that I think may be surprising to you in in this episode. Uh, So we might as well get started. Grab your Bible. Get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat. But think like a Christian. All right, Chris, let me start off by saying this. Um I have a basic understanding of technology. I know how to use my devices and my apps most of the time and I read up on it when I can. But I can but if I'm going to be honest with you Chris, I can only go so deep into thing into how technology works and to where technology is going. Right? In other words, I guess what I'm trying to say is I am not an expert. Um I am ignorant to some things that are going on in technology. That's just not my my bag. That's not my area of expertise. And to a large extent, because of that, I kind of have to trust what others tell me and just hope for the best, right? I, I, I just don't have the expertise to know everything that's going on in technology to a at a high level. But with that said, and this may be a part of, of my ignorance there, um, I have long feared that too much of our life Is becoming virtual. That we're handing too much power over to big tech and not necessarily that we don't necessarily have the ethics or uh, the foresight to know exactly where things are going. Now, perhaps that just makes me a dinosaur. Uh, But I do think that there's a certain value to things being real and manual, not everything. I'm not against technology. I like to see technology move forward. But there is some value to things being manual sometimes. And I'm open to the challenge that my fears are unfounded. But sometimes I do think that uh, we give too much. We give up too much for the sake of convenience. Sometimes I feel like that we're moving too too far, too fast into some kind of unknown territory. And again, I don't think that technology in general is bad. But I do think that you need to have the ethics and the foresight to go along with it. And I don't think that we're always there, especially when it comes to policy. Let me give you an example when we know something that that worries me a little bit when it comes to technology. Let's take the example of self-driving cars, Chris. All right. What if there is so if if, let's say I get a self-driving driving driving car. All right. What happens if there's an emergency and for whatever reason, my self-driving car can't or won't take me where I want to go? Like it's not broken. It just won't take me where I want to go. Perhaps someone has hacked into the system. Perhaps there's some authority that uh, wants people to stay put, to stay in place. And I know this might sound far-fetched, but just humor me for a while. What if something like the power grid goes down or the power grid is corrupted and the car just won't go anywhere? Is the convenience or the laziness connected to not having to drive manually worth potentially not being able to control my car in an urgent situation. That's something I think about from time to time. And I have similar concerns, Chris, when it comes to money. Today, even more of our money isn't on hand. Most of it, most of it isn't even in the bank. Now I get the practical side of that. I get part of the technology in that regard. But again, what if some hacker or bad actor decides to give me decides not to give me my money now i may sound like i put on like a 10 you know one of these uh 10 caps or something like that i may sound like your grandmother who just don't know what's going on but what if that was the case and let's be honest chris we have some controversial opinions right um based on faith based on some of our beliefs what if our bank decided to punish us for those opinions by not giving us our money. If the bank's like, give me that. I don't like your opinion. I'm going to hold this for a little. I'm going to freeze this for a little bit. Now, such a move, Chris, would not be unprecedented, right? It, It does happen sometimes in other countries. It's happened before. But certainly this could never, something like this could never happen in the land of the free. But are we sure about that? In Reason, in Reason Magazine, Robbie uh, Suave uh, wrote last week about PayPal's updated user agreement. That agreement prohibits the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that present a risk to user safety or well-being or contain, quote-unquote, misinformation. The policy notes that what counts as misinformation is at PayPal's sole discretion. Let me repeat that. What is defined as misinformation. Is at PayPal's sole discretion. If you violate the policy, PayPal can deduct twenty five hundred dollars from the offenders account. Now, this, this word uh, misinformation has caused some trouble. You know, we've had some trouble with that definition as of late. I'd like you to keep in mind, and we've talked about this on the Church Politics Podcast, that the lab leak theory concerning COVID, the idea that COVID uh, was leaked out of a lab, was considered misinformation for quite a while during the pandemic. And people were actually deplatformed. Uh, they couldn't make money on certain in certain spaces even from mentioning the lab leak theory. But now, amazingly, it's considered a legitimate possibility. Some would say that it's it's the most probable explanation for the pandemic. But at one point, it was labeled misinformation. You see, when when companies are trying to please a certain ideological tribe, those definitions can become very arbitrary and dangerous. I, for one, don't want a company like PayPal deciding if I should be punished for my opinions. And you're talking about twenty five hundred dollars per infraction. So let's say during this podcast we had three infractions. You can just multiply that times three and that's how much we would be paying. Now, the good news is based on pushback from the public, PayPal did backtrack. They said that they sent out this. Uh, they sent this out by mistake that this user agreement policy should have never gone out. And it was a complete mistake, even though this is exactly what it said in the plain language. They, they came back later that day and said that's not what they meant. That was a mistake. It should have never happened. But the incident did inspire a professor uh, of law at UCLA and a writer to take a closer look at PayPal's policies. Now, keep in mind, PayPal is also the owner of Venmo, I believe. But what he found really alarmed him. He said that PayPal prohibits activities that relate to the promotion of hate, violence, racial or other forms of intolerance that is discriminatory, excuse me, or the financial or is or is in regard to the financial financial explo, exploitation of a crime. Okay. So these are other reasons that you might also get a twenty five hundred dollar fine. Now, now, generally, those things make sense. You say, yeah, nobody wants people to be violent, hateful. You know, you don't want racial discrimination. You don't want any type of intolerance. Again, the problem is, though, what's the definition of that? And according to this law professor, um, sharply criticizing a religion or government officials could be. Construed as the promotion of hate. Theoretically. According to this policy. Now this is what Suave said. in In regard to that. He said PayPal is free to put in place. Whatever policies it thinks are best. But the company shouldn't be surprised. If people don't trust it. To correctly define terms. Like misinformation. Hate. Or intolerance. And thus. Take their business elsewhere. OK, so that just happened last week. This is that's a lot to me. Next, I'm sure many of you heard Kanye West and some very had some very controversial comments about George Floyd and some other stuff. Um, many other things that we would would never defend on this show. Um, And it sounds like Chase Bank said that they're closing his account because of it, closing his business account because of some of the things he said. Now, again, we don't have to defend Kanye's behavior to worry about banks making decisions like this based on their disagreement with legal expression. And that's the main thing. If somebody's doing something illegal, okay, we get it. But basing these decisions on legal expression becomes problematic. Some banks have even talked about not letting people buy guns with their debit cards. Okay. The question I want to ask you, Chris, is is this a fair use of their function? Is this a fair use of their power? What's your all, overall opinion on PayPal or Chase Bank or anybody else kind of using their power uh, to kind of censor people?
1: Well, in a word, no, it, it is not uh, within their uh, jurisdiction to uh, to do this. Like it, it, it is really crazy. I mean, even uh, like you pointed out, you know, PayPal takes this one piece out of their uh, policy, but they still have this other piece in there. And when I was reading that portion, it's one sentence and they go from, uh, you know, promoting hate to ex- financially exploiting a crime, which I feel like those two things are nowhere near the same uh, sort of weight to be like in the same you know, you're promoting hate or you're like exploiting an actual crime. Those are not the same. And then like taking money to like promote crime, you know, like if if you pay somebody to kill somebody, that's already illegal. Um, And to me, the role of the corporation is like to inform law enforcement, not to enforce the law, right? Like we already have institutions of law enforcement uh, to enforce legitimate law. And then the rest of this stuff is, is just not in the domain, I, at, at least in my opinion, of corporations to, uh, you know, to regulate that. It, first off, we've seen that it never works. We've seen Facebook, you know, trying to censor uh, lab leak theory and the Hunter Biden uh, laptop on Twitter and YouTube, demonetizing and flagging, you know, people who are saying the wrong thing about COVID and all this stuff. You know, is has proved over time to actually not be misinformation. And again, even if it were uh actual misinformation, is one of the fundamental principles of our free society in the United States. Um, you know, uh, that that we actually allow people to say stuff that we disagree with. And this kind of sort of like dystopian future where corporations and tech companies are uh, regulating what we're allowed to say in public, like if, if that's what we're in store for, you know, people who who kind of dissent from the kind of liberal cultural consensus, uh, especially Christians, I suppose at some level we should just like take it on the chin, bear up under persecution or what have you. But but in my opinion, I think that we still have some responsibility uh, to speak out about these things uh, and to call them out because I, I think that We have come into a time where there really needs to be regulation uh, on all these tech companies. You know, people, these companies have to say, what are their policies? How are they enforcing these policies? Who's been impacted by these policies? And that those those answers need to be reviewed by the government, by the Congress and or, or some other, you know, sort of like regulating entity within the government. And it can't be left up to individual people like you started at the top. Most of us, you know, are, are not first off, like, you know, tech experts like that. And then, you know, I, I confess, like I have I have often prayed to the Lord and, and asked him not to hold it against me as a lie. When I stand for judgment, when I click that, I read the, the terms and conditions and. <laughs> um, because you know most of us don't have time to do a legal review every time we sign up for an app or platform uh and so i I have had this conversation recently with a few folks in the in the christian community and have sort of heard people suggest that like as believers uh, we should just be preparing for persecution uh, and be ready to remain faithful and and not you know that's just what's going to happen to us because of our beliefs I still think that there's some role for advocacy. Uh, I don't know, Justin, if you think that I'm wrong about that, but I, I think there's some some role for us uh, in, in terms of like pointing this stuff out.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there's a role for advocacy. And I think even in regard to this, we see, you know, we, we still understand even this is like a polite uh, uh, form of persecution, right? It's not the bloody persecution. But if people were to to say, hey, I don't like that idea. I'm closing your account. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does affect the 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 uh, um, Decisions people make and, and things of that nature. So it, it is it is a big deal. And it's, I think it's something that we should be paying attention to, something we should advocate against, because it could be something that tells us what's to come. I mean, yeah, they pulled, they pulled this back, but the fact that they put it out there means that they showed their hand. And here's what I really want to get through to the audience. It doesn't matter if we agree with what was said or not. It doesn't matter if somebody says something that we think was completely ridiculous if it was legal if there's it's their free expression for big tech to come in and say i'm going to punish you for that creates a situation that's really bad because guess what and we talked about this not too long ago big tech isn't we can't hold them accountable in the same way that we hold government accountable and so that brings a whole different um dynamic to this conversation that we have to be aware of i think we have to be paying attention to but i'll let you take us out on this one chris
1: yeah and no, i i, I, I Two things. One certainly wouldn't compare this to like, you know, and this is what people have said to me, like the persecution that that Christians have endured throughout time and that Christians still endure today throughout the world. This doesn't compare to me. That doesn't mean that we should just take it um, because it does compare those things. I think we still should say something about it. And it, it is, we have to know that it's already, most of the stuff is already illegal. It is illegal to go on a broad platform and actually, uh, Incite violence, right? right. Um, so these things are already against the law. We already have structures for law enforcement, and these companies can't be basically vigilantes uh, out here trying to enforce the law on their own.
0: Exactly, exactly. And and I, and I lied. I said I was going to let you take us out, but I had one more thing to say. All is not lost, though, because there was a strong statement that was made that made me feel a lot better about this. Uh, Rohit Chopra, who is the director of the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, was not happy about uh, PayPal's policy that they said was never policy and was a complete accident and came out of nowhere. Either way, he wasn't happy about it. And here's what he had to say, had to say about it. He said, I've never heard of a payment system thinking they could find someone for, again, legal expression. And so he was very clear that these, you know, that these folks in this position should not be able to take people's money based off legal expression. Okay. Um, and there will be, I think some type of investigation into those policies. So this is one of those things you say, man, thank you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chopra. We really needed somebody to step up and and show some sanity to say, no, this is not going to move forward. I don't care if you're conservative and I disagree with you progressive and I agree with you or whatever, this is not okay. And I think we needed somebody with power in a place of authority to say that Uh, because it can be, you know, when, when when everybody's quiet on it, it's almost like you're just waiting for this to happen again. And so maybe that will discourage any someone else from thinking up a similar policy, even on accident. We will be right back on the church politics podcast. And we are back on the church politics podcast. Well, here's another issue. Um, And maybe another confession too, Chris. I must confess that although I live only about a mile away or so from a very uh, popular Atlanta burger joint. I've never eaten a plant based burger. And I have no intention on ever doing so, Chris. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now I know that we have vegans that listen to this podcast. I ain't got no problem with you. You're all good. I love you. Thank you for listening. You have my support. But on principle, for me as a carnivore, I just can't do it, man. I don't. I don't foresee ever doing it. I'll never say never because I don't play with God like that. But I don't foresee myself doing that. And I was. I'll tell you what threw me off too, just talking about the vegan conversation, Chris, is when I found out that not all vegan food. Is healthy. I thought that was the point of it, but not even all vegan food is healthy. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And, and it kind of took me a while to figure that out. But that's another matter. We can talk about that some other time. The reason I bring this up, Chris, is that I recently read an article entitled entitled Big Veganism is coming for you. And it was by John Lewis Stemple, uh, in I think, was it Unheard? I think this was in Unheard magazine as well. Um, And he tells us about some interest in the article. He tells us about some interesting things that are going on in the vegan food industry. He starts off with this. He says uh, the sustainable protein system is the promotion of alt proteins as opposed to conventional proteins we might get from food, which uh, which come with from foods which come from farmed animals. Some of the alt protein research is directed towards consuming insects. Some of it is focused on algae, Uh, but the big research bucks are flowing one way only, and that is to plant based alternatives to meat. A lot of the research is being done in a place called Food Valley, which is in central Netherlands. Uh, Food Valley appears to have some strange bedfellows, Chris, Um, and maybe a better way to put it is they appear to have some really interesting investors. Lewis Stemple asks, is it not curious how veganism, which dresses itself uh, in the in the hip clothes of animal welfare, anti climate change and eco feminism, can't wait to get into the blender with big business? He says vegan startups can smell the money and vegan ethics invariably melt when some suit from a corporation open opens up his wallet, even when the suit is from the very meat industry. Vegans profess to despise. Let me say that again. Even when the suit is from the very meat industry, vegans profess to despise. That's right. There are meat companies investing in the vegan movement. I did not expect to hear that. That might be the definition of irony. He goes on to say that the flow of tainted money in veganism began big time in 2016. When Tyson's food, when Tyson foods, one of the world's largest meat processing companies took a percentage stake in fake meat startup beyond meat. Since then, a Brazilian meat company has made a much bigger investment in a, a, a similar company. Now, it's not just money that they're not just getting. This industry is not just getting money from meat companies. It's also getting money from governments. Food Valley is subsidized by the Dutch state and the European Union. Both have pumped hundreds of millions of euros into Food Valley. All right. Now he goes on to say that proponents of alt protein claim that it is a necessity required to feed the world's growing population. The world's farmers, however, already produce enough uh, enough to feed current and future mouths. The problem is waste. A third of global food is binned or left to rot. And the other problem is distribution. You can produce as many plant based burgers as you care as you care to. But if the poor are unable to access them, they will still be hungry. But then he goes on to say, Big veganism has little incentive to target the hungry, He's saying this is mostly about money, not necessarily about feeding the poor. That's just used as pretext. These are his words, not mine. A big, a big vegan world. And this is how he kind of ends it, Chris. A big vegan world without reform to waste and food distribution policies would require one third more cropland. It would therefore also require more artificial fertilizers plus pesticides, herbicides, and all other polluting sides produced by agrochemical giants who are also funding Food Valley. So we have meat companies, we have government, and we have agrochemical giants who are funding Food Valley. The brave new world, he ends with this. The brave new world of big veganism will be, in other words, a corporate dream. Will meat substitutes actually provide us with any nutrients at all? We won't know. The exact composition of the product will be, of course, a corporate patent secret. Wow. That's heavy. Now, obviously, uh, Lewis Stemple has some issues with veganism. He, you know, he was uh some somewhat adversarial in this. And so we're not uh, necessarily endorsing everything he said. But if it is true that there is funding coming from meat companies, funding coming from these big chemical giants. That's much different than we you know, than we would have seen veganism before. Now, I would say this. This has nothing to do with kind of impugning or saying everybody that's a vegan or everybody that's in the industry is doing something wrong or it's something completely wicked. But I think it is important to know that regardless of what movements and things we see going on, sometimes there are th- things below the surface that we would have never guessed were a part of the conversation should have been a part of the conversation, but it's really a part of the reality. Chris, what are your thoughts on big veganism in this article?
1: Well, first of all, I have to say that this one was like legitimately, uh, I won't say scary, but at least like discomforting to read. I feel like a lot of times when I'm reading stuff, there there are components about which I am at least tangentially aware, and I didn't really know about Food Valley, but I've uh, done a lot of reading about it uh, since I read the article, and it is like... It is legit scary. Um, You know, because that, so I'm married to a vegetarian, not a vegan, but a vegetarian. Uh, And, you know, as a, you know, I was 19 when I met Aziza and part of my trying to like woo her actually took on vegetarianism uh, for about 18 months. Uh, And in that time of vegetarianism, I did arrive at a similar conclusion, Justin, to you. Like, if I'm going to not eat meat, I'm just going to not eat meat. I'm not going to eat like meat substitute because I thought the point was to not eat meat. But anyway, so I'm, I'm, uh, I have some, some, some personal engagement with this. And, and really I can say that I've, I've talked to my wife a lot because I've actually grown more and more concerned, uh, with what I call moral meat abstinence in the church. Like I said, like my wife's a vegetarian and if you're like a vegan or a vegetarian, because like you know, you think that that's going to be healthier for you. Uh, you know that that's going to be healthier for you. Or even if you have like a, a you know, it, it just fits with your kind of like view of the world. That's all good. But I do become concerned, especially in the church, when sort of veganism is is associated with this sort of air of moral superiority, uh, that I'm doing something right and the people who are not doing this is wrong. Uh, and when those two things are present together, I really am reminded of, of Paul's writing to Timothy in 1st Timothy, where he actually, uh, talks about the latter days, uh, when, when folks will forbid to marry and forbid, uh, to, um, to eat certain things and he actually caused those deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Uh, and so we, we actually do have to be uh, careful again, not to, this is absolutely not to condemn people's food choices. I will say for the third time I'm married to a vegetarian very happily. So, uh, so this is not condemning people's food choices. Uh, but I think we do have to be careful of the subtleties, um, that might be able to, to, get in there and, and, and bring us from like a, a food choice, whether it be a political food choice or a health-based food choice, and bring it to a place for a believer of of uh, a moral superiority. Uh, and I've become concerned about, like I said, moral meat abstinence in, in the church. And and I tweeted something about this recently because I don't think that the corporations are like the source of, of our sinfulness. They're not the source of our uh, sort of like, tendency toward arrogance and moral superiority. They are not the source corporations are not the source of sin. But I do think that corporations are all too happy uh, you know, to sort of take advantage of of that weakness and and in, in the flesh. And so, you know, what I said on Twitter, like corporations don't invent cultural progressivism, but they're they're perfectly willing to to boost it, to supercharge it, uh, and to exploit it. Because they see new avenues for profit, and so I, I think that that's uh, that's a little bit insane. This article points out, like you said, that big veganism might even have long term negative effects. Uh, and again, it is why I think that we need to have more regulation, like on these points. Like what I, what I do know about, I didn't know about Food Valley, but. I do know about the monopolies that we have in our food, sort of like economy and the markets of our food. Like, uh, so just to point out for our listeners, uh, right now today, four firms control fifty percent, around fifty percent of the market share for meat and beef uh, and poultry. Turkey by itself. Four firms control over 60%. And the meat substitute market is way more monopolized right now than even, and and if you don't know about like antitrust and and marks, like you're starting to move toward monopoly when you have a small group of firms controlling uh, 40% of the market share. Meat is already at 50%. Poultry, if you pull it out from meat, is at 60%. Meat substitute, 76%. Four firms control 76% of the market, and that's never good because when you have monopolies in food, those mega companies get to dictate what farmers grow, what ranchers raise, um, I guess what scientists develop, and what they all get paid for that, which is a whole nother conversation. And because they get to dictate that, they get to dictate then what we eat and how much we pay for it. Uh, so I think a, a An important step that we could take even before we like let this whole food valley thing play out is at least to start to break up some of the food monopolies, so that it's not so much tendency toward corruption.
0: And then you have the false pretense, right? The false pretense that this was really about feeding the hungry. When, unless we change a lot of other things, that's not really even the issue. The issue is the distribution. The issue is making sure that we can keep things fresh. And that's not what happened. Now, we won't talk about the false pretense when you sold your wife that you were going to be a vegetarian we'll talk about that after the show and then you switched up on her after y'all got married we'll talk about that she's a strong before woman we got, so i switched
1: it before you <laughs> married.
0: you didn't even last it fair enough that's that's a little better I'll, I'll give you that that's a little better but uh, but it is something that we need to say right. I, mean, I gained
1: 40 pounds when i became a vegetarian really yes so that's what i'm saying like not eating something is not like a, an affirmatively healthy food choice
0: i had to i didn't know that man i I did not know that i didn't even know it wasn't some of the food wasn't even aimed at being healthy but that you know but I, i said that already one of the things that i wanted to point out though was again this is not about beating up on vegans or anything like that i think with any movement anything that's new anything that people are really getting into anything where big business is really putting its hands on it and all big business isn't bad but anytime money big money gets involved with it you're going to have some strange bedfellows and there's things going on that we might not see something else that's going on is when it comes to marijuana, you know, a lot of these legalizations were built off. Oh, we're going to have minority participation and all that within a few years, big tobacco is going to be running the commercialization of uh, marijuana and you're going to have the same issues. And and so, you know, we can talk about legal, you know, we can talk about decriminalization, which is kind of where I stand on it, but the commercialization of marijuana and having big tobacco take that over after we just smeared big tobacco for years and years and years and for good reason for all the things that they hood they hid, we're gonna let it come back in and and take over something that's actually mind altering and could really have a serious impact on the community as well. Uh, you can take us out on this one.
1: Yeah, no that that is crazy. I'm I'm actually looking into that right now because of the the Biden thing, but that that marijuana piece is crazy. I'm I'm proud of our state. NAACP because when we did commercialization here uh, in Illinois that was the one civil rights organization that was like nope we don't endorse it we oppose it um, and it's the same thing here with the food like we, we just have to watch the corporations uh, I don't. Yeah. They're, they're not inherently evil but they're also not inherently good
0: that's right and that's a lot of power maybe that's the theme of, of what we're talking about today we will be right back on the church politics podcast that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and the Right Reverend Christopher Butler. Let me start this uh, segment with a quote. Every parent has a right to object to the things their kids are being exposed to. There's a breaking point, and the breaking point is this the fundamental purpose of school is not to learn about sexual pleasure, it's not to learn about new sex acts. The fundamental purpose of schools is to prepare our kids to be successful adults who can go off and have careers. And it is up to every parent. To teach them their morality. These parents are not filled with hate or bigotry. They just don't want their children sexualized. Now, Chris, according to the pop culture narrative, the person who must have made this quote had to be a white conservative male over 60 years old. Right. That's the only people that talk or care about this stuff. At least that's what we're told. That's wrong. This came from a black woman in Dearborn, uh, Michigan, speaking at a school board meeting, and she was backed up by hundreds of Arab American Muslims. They were protesting a sexually explicit book that was in their schools. Now, while many Christians, even conservative Christians, are choosing to put their heads in the sand about some of these issues because they just don't want to deal with it or, as I said before, they don't want to get uninvited from the cocktail party. I think it is important that we have diverse voices of faith stand up when it comes to the sexualization of our children. Uh, some of these books that they're putting in schools. Now, the left will say, "Well, why are you trying to ban books?" As if you know this fits into the idea of banning history books or, or books that. No, there are certain books that, based on the age of the children, are not appropriate. And so the whole idea of banning books, yeah, that comes with a certain a righteousness, I guess. This doesn't fit into that. So, Chris, I just want to hear your thoughts on seeing, you know, people of another faith kind of step up and say, no, we're not taking this anymore. Take these books out of our schools because they're inappropriate.
1: Yeah, I'm encouraged by it when, you know, some of the uh, sort of Twitter action and, you know, I don't know why i pay attention even to Twitter, but, you know, we're compelled to or whatever. But some of the Twitter actions sort of suggest that, well, Christians can't partner with Muslims, you know, in, in this uh, effort. I think that I would point folks to uh, the the and campaign uh, book, Compassion and Conviction, uh, so that we can learn a little bit about uh, civic and political co-belligerency. Um, because that, that co-belligerence is really important here. I think that people of faith, uh, and, and people of goodwill who want to, uh, preserve some, some state of innocence for our children, um, and, and manage what, what our kids are exposed to, uh, should be, uh, standing together on these issues. Uh, you know, folks are, uh, defending uh, the books that are in Dearborn School. And I, I was able to look at a couple of the books that are actually, uh, you know, part of this discussion. I mean, they are very, very explicit. Uh, and, and folks have defended it saying that, well, this is not part of the curriculum. They, these are books that have just been made available in the library. And so we shouldn't be, you know, censoring, quote, unquote, what's in, in the library. And I, I just remind folks that we already censor what's in the school library. Like, Ain't no Playboy books in the school library uh, that that students can borrow. We've just made a decision, an affirmative decision that now these things are welcome on this side of the line. And I think these parents have every right to uh, to suggest that, you know, that that's not cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and again, to, to your earlier point, Christians don't know everything. We haven't gotten everything right. Um, there's something called common grace, which means people who aren't Christians get things right. And sometimes they get things better than we get them. Uh, and we need allies in a, you know, in, in this, uh, uh, this Republic It's very hard to get things done without allies. We need to be able to say, Hey, if we agree on this, let's work together to fix this. Um, and, and so I think it's ridiculous to say that we can't work together on something that we clearly uh, both have in common and I'm hoping uh, to see to see more of this. I'm hoping that even Christians, again, who have their heads in the sand, who are hoping that this goes away, or who are pretending that it's not a big deal, will step up and say, hey, I don't want this to be one of the things that I look back on, you know, 20 years later and wish I would have said something earlier. Let me say this: some of the biggest atrocities we've seen in history are when Christians run away from issues that they need to address. When Christians act like something's not happening when it is happening. And so you can be worried about your reputation. You can be worried about business or whatever. But if you have within your sphere of influence something that you can do about this, you need to step up and do it. And I'm glad to see that some of our Muslim neighbors were doing just that. Anything else on that, Chris?
1: Yeah, I would I would just urge folks, especially those of us who are living in like the urban centers of the United States, uh, to don't let yourself remain ignorant. Like I have had the personal experience of sitting with families and walking them through some of what has actually been put in the curriculum, and and under the name of sex education uh, for students in Chicago public schools, and I have seen the shock and the disgust uh, that comes over parents' faces because these school districts, they are not sending pamphlets home and having, you know, a bunch of uh, community meetings when they put this stuff in. Uh, it's it's actually uh, quite low key. And if you're not like going to school board meetings and stuff, you may not even know. So I would just urge folks To at least don't remain ignorant. Like, you need to go look and see uh, not just what's in the school library, but look and see what's the sex education curriculum uh, in your state and in your city. Um, Because some of these large unit school districts are just doing this stuff. And, you know, we're sending our kids to these schools and a lot of parents are not even aware.
0: Yeah. Stop being so worried about being that kind of Christian or being looked at a certain way that you run away from things that you can actually have an impact on and that uh, that affect children. Guys. Let's stop being so vain and let's get done what we need to get done. It matters. It's a big deal. And mark my words, if we sit around and put our heads in the sand for any longer, it's only going to get worse.
1: Yeah, and we're we're getting up. But we got to get. uh I think it's powerful what we see in Dearborn and what we could see, I hope we do see, is powerful if the same parents who are down at the school board advocating for, like, black history education are then down there advocating exactly. to straighten out their sex education stuff.
0: That's what exactly. that power. Yeah, because there are some things that should not be censored, you know, like history, like historical facts, things of that nature. But then there are other things that are inappropriate and unfortunately some folks on the left want to blur that line right and that is all one or the other well that's all we got for the church politics podcast for today as usual and camp there's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear there's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world politic with the boldness and compassion of jesus christ until next time and camp Holla at you. Say kingdom. Kingdom. Oh, Lord. Say Kingdom. kingdom.